0: Alrighty, folks, and welcome to the Conquer Podcast channel. This is episode thirty-three, the Battle of Guangdu. Now, I hope everyone is doing well today. Um, today is the Mid-Autumn Festival here in China, and because like I was so busy at work, I didn't really <laughs> realise until it was too late. I've been I've worked six days this week. Uh, So, I am exhausted, as you could imagine, and I will like to do an episode on the Mid-Autumn Festival, just like the story behind it and things. So, that is what I will talk about next week. But, as for today, we're going to talk about the Battle of Guangdu, the ultimate showdown between Tao Tao and his adversary, Yuan Shao. Now the history between these two guys goes way back, like the two of them were childhood friends and they got on well, but of course as they get older they begin to drift apart politically and Yuan Shao kind of uh, establishes his power in the north, like north of the Yellow River, and Tao Tao to the south of the Yellow River in the central plains. So this episode will cover the ultimate showdown between the two men at the Battle of Guangdu in 200 AD. But first, let's get like a little bit of a backstory as to, you know, what happened and how it got to this stage within their relationship. Tao Tao had captured, oh, sorry, I mean, saved, the Emperor of the Han Dynasty in the year 196, he immediately used the Emperor's authority to bolster his own power. Using imperial edicts as he wished, Tao Tao gained legitimacy for his campaigns and put this legitimacy to good use. He fought many campaigns in the lead-up to Guangdu. For example, when his father was being escorted through Shu province, Tao Tao's father, Tao Song, was killed by Tao Qian's subordinate, Zhang Kai. Now, Tao Qian was the governor of Xu province, and Zhang Kai was one of his generals who was tasked with escorting Tao Song through his territory with no problems there. But as a result of Jiang Kai killing Taosong, Tao Tao launched a ruthless campaign against Shu province, killing everything. And I mean that. Everything was killed. Men, women, children, even farm animals were ordered to be slaughtered. Sources say that the Yellow River and the tributary rivers around it all turned red with the blood of the victims of this vicious campaign. However, Tao Cao didn't conquer Shu province at that time, as he was attacked by Liu Bu, who turned up on the scene kind of out of the blue. Now, Romance of the Three Kingdoms says that Liu Bei also played a massive role in stopping Tao Cao as he tried to aid Tao Qian in his defences, but his role is overplayed here. Liu Bei did go to the help of Tao Qian and he did have an influence, but... You know, the, the romance of the Three Kingdoms really does try to bolster Liu Bei's reputation. What did make Tao Tao retreat, obviously, at this stage, was the advances made by Liu Bu to the West. Tao Tao then had to regather his forces and he fought Liu Bu. Liu Bu was then defeated by Tao Tao and he retreated to Liu Bei to serve him. This is when Tao Tao's political intrigue and genius really stands out. Tao Tao knew that Liu Bei and Lu Bu just wouldn't get along, and there would eventually be a conflict between them. As well as that, Yuan Shu, a warlord to the south, was also eyeing up Shu province. So what Tao Tao did was use imperial edicts and basically stirred up trouble between the three of them. So what he would do is he would write an edict to Yuan Shu saying oh by the way Liu Bu wants to attack you and at the same time he would say the same thing to Liu Bu and then Liu Bei would also be getting left out and basically the three of them were all being played by Tao Tao. Now Liu Bu being Liu Bu eventually betrayed Liu Bei as Tao Tao once again had said that Liu Bei was conspiring with Yuan Yuan Shu to attack him So, of course, Liu Bu took the initiative and expelled Liu Bei from Shu province. Liu Bei then fled to Tao Tao and he, this is when he met the emperor and he got called the imperial uncle. was at this moment where Tao Tao had been waiting for, and he launched his invasion of Shu province once again. This time, he won the province. Liu Bu only had one stronghold left, a place named Xia Pi. This fortress was rather formidable, and to storm the fortress would have caused heavy casualties on Tao Tao's side. So what Tao Tao did was wait, and wait, and wait some more. What he was waiting for was the rain season. Unbeknownst to Liu Moon, when, whilst he was standing his ground in CIP thinking he had enough supplies to outlast this siege, Tao Tao's army were busy taking channels of the E and Si rivers, which were naturally used as barriers for the city, to make them flood when the rain season came. The entire city had been flooded as soon as the rain started. And with all of that flooding, the grain supply that Lü Bu needed was gone. It was only a matter of time before Lü Bu's men eventually betrayed him. He, they were, he was captured alive and brought to Tao Tao. Now there is a story where, when Lü Bu is taken to Tao Tao, he is bound so tight that he asks Tao Tao, "Can you loosen the bound? To which Tao Tao said, "When you bound the tiger, you need to keep it tight." So it just goes to show that everyone was wary of Lu Bu's skill as a martial artist here and, of course, as a military commander. Now, during this meeting, Lu Bu did try to offer his services to Tao Tao, and Tao Tao actually considered taking him in. But then everyone, including Liu Bei, actually said, do not take this guy in. So Tao Tao, seeing his senses, had Lu Bu strangled. (coughs) Then, it was at this stage when Lu Bu had been dealt with, that the warlord to the south, Yuan Shu, had declared himself emperor of a new dynasty called the Zhong. The reasons why, I will get to in a couple of weeks. But basically, he managed to get a hold of the Imperial Jade Seal that the Han Dynasty had used, and before that, the Qin Dynasty had used, and he thought that he had the Mandate of Heaven. God knows why. So, Tao Tao, being the defender of the Han in name, simply could not allow this, and he stormed Yuan Shu's strongholds and defeated him within a few months. Now, it's important to note here that all of the warlords who were fighting at this stage were all fighting in the name of the Han. So to come out and basically declare yourself an emperor was just a no-go. It just invited all the other warlords around you to attack you. And that's exactly what happened to Yuan Chu here. So that is what Tao done. And I mean, this is very general, what I just said, but I mean, like, this is all the campaigns that Tao Tao fought in the lead-up to this war with Yuan Shao. And this was all over the course of, like, three or years, or four years in total. So that's what Tao Tao did. What about Yuan Shao? What was he doing? Because, you know, he wasn't just twiddling his thumbs waiting for this inevitable conflict with Tao Tao. So... As Tao Tao saved the Emperor first, Yuan Shao was feeling rather bitter because he hesitated and Tao Tao had taken the initiative. But it didn't stop Yuan Shao from establishing a foothold in the north, and he launched an invasion northward and defeated his biggest rival, Gon Zan, by 199 AD. So by 199 AD, the stage was set for the battle to take place, which is the main topic I'm focusing on today. Yuan Shao had all of the provinces north of the Yellow River, so I'm just going to say his power was centred in modern-day Hubei province, which is around modern-day Beijing. Tao Tao, on the other hand, had his power centred in Yan province, and his, ta- his capital was Xuchang. To prepare for the invasion, in August 199, Tao Tao stationed a garrison at Fort Du Chu with the orders to simply defend any incursions from the north. Now, Romance of the Three Kingdoms says that Yuan Shao had 700,000 troops under his command at this time, whereas Tao Cao only had a mere 200,000. But considering that this is a novel, the numbers are greatly exaggerated. Now I'm going to go by uh, the YouTube channel Kings and Generals here with the numbers. Yuan Shao had 110,000, whereas Tao Cao had 40,000. So as you can see, the numbers are really brought back down to earth with those figures. So by 200 AD, Yuan Shao's opportunity came when Tao Tao's former subordinate, Liu Bei, had rebelled in Shu province, and it left Tao Tao vulnerable to an attack on two fronts. Tao Tao had to deal with Liu Bei to the east and the forces of Yuan Shao to the north. But Tao Cao knew he had to quickly act and he had to deal with Liu Bei's rebellion first, before he could react to anything that Yuan Shao did. So, he devised a plan. Causing confusion amongst his rivals, Tao Tao gave his own sword and banners to his general yu Jin, who was charged with stationing his men at Fort Du Shu, just south of the Yellow River. By doing this, Tao Tao had fooled both Yuan Shao and Liu Bei into thinking he was preparing for Yuan Shao. So Yuan Shao was actually kind of hoping that Liu Bei would take the brunt of Tao Tao's aggression so that he could win the spoils of the war. So by seeing Tao Tao's banner, Yuan Shao hesitated and didn't launch his full forces against Tao Tao's defences on the southern banks of the Yellow River. As for Liu Bei, he also thought he could breathe a little easier and he thought he had time to prepare a suitable defence of the province he had just stolen from Tao Tao. Little did both men know that Tao Tao was marching swiftly to the east, and before Liu Bei knew it, Tao Tao was right on his doorstep. According to legends, Tao Tao managed to trick Liu Bei into leaving Shuzhou, which was the capital city of that province, and was ambushed whilst he was exposed. There are two stories as to how he did this. The first is that when besieging Shuzhou, Tao Tao purposefully used the weakest men in his army first, and he ordered his soldiers to leave the dead there. This gave Liu Bei a false impression of how much damage he was actually doing to Tao army. After a few days of besieging the city, Tao ordered his men to slowly withdraw, thus fooling Liu Bei into thinking that he was retreating. Liu Bei, sensing an opportunity, tried to launch a night attack against this retreating enemy, but was in for a shock when he realised that his men had been surrounded by Tao Tao's elite army. To make matters worse, the city of Suzhou had already been surrounded by Tao Tao's forces before Liu Bei could escape, so there was no way out for him. Now, this is the harsh version of events against Tao Tao. The second source is a little less cruel. Tao Tao had one of his soldiers look like a soldier of Yuan uh, sorry, Yuan Shao's son, Yuan Tan, who then presented himself to Liu Bei as a representative of Yuan Tan. He told Liu Bei that Yuan Tan's army was close by and needed reinforcement to fight one of Tao Tao's leading generals, Xiao Dun. Wanting to help his ally and show his sincerity to the alliance, Liu Bei quickly left the city. But, of course, when he ran into an army, it wasn't Yuan Tan's, but in fact, Tao Tao himself. Regardless of, like, whichever story you believe, Liu Bei's rebellion was completely crushed within a few months. So he travelled north to the employ of Yuan Shao. Separated from his sworn brothers, Liu Bei was in Yuan Shao's company alone. Zhang Fei had been defeated and he ran to a local village and just stayed there until he knew where Liu Bei was again. Guan Yu, on the other hand, was surrounded by Tao Tao at his fort in Xiaopei. Seeing the situation was hopeless, Guan Yu surrendered to Tao Tao temporarily. He had three conditions for his surrender though. The first was that if he knew where Liu Bei's whereabouts was, he would return to Liu Bei as soon as possible. The second was that Liu Bei's wives were not to be harmed. And the third was that he worked for the Han Emperor and not Tao Tao. I mean, I get the first two, but the third one was basically, like, in a nutshell he was surrendering, like Guan Yu was stating that he was surrendering to the imperial court and not to Tao Tao. And it did give Guan Yu some wiggle room for his reputation. With the rebellion dealt with, Tao Tao rushed back to where the biggest battle in his military career would begin, Guan Now, like I said before, Yuan Shao did try to launch an invasion during Tao Tao's absence, but it wasn't his full strength. He entrusted his top general Yan Liang to lay siege to one of the nearby towns, Boma. However, as Tao Tao had been preparing for an invasion, it was beginning to pay off. The defenders kept Yuan Shao's army at bay, and it looked like the siege was coming to a stalemate. Now, with Tao Tao rushing in from the east, the besiegers were thinking Taotao would try to relieve his allies. However, Taotao had performed a feint, filling the enemy and probably his own men stationed in Bo into thinking that he was travelling upstream of the Yellow River to attack Yuan Shao's main camp. To respond to this new sudden threat, Yuan Shao started preparing a defence of his own camp, rather than sending aid to his forces at Bo where they were needed. Once Taotao had seen this manoeuvre, he quickly turned his soldiers around and annihilated Yan Lian's forces at Oma. Again, legend has it that Guan Yu repaid Tao Tao in this fight by killing Yan Lian himself. This legend, however, does seem to be true. Next, Tao Tao abandoned Fort Buma as the defenses were just no longer adequate. And he knew the real action would be taking place at Guanlu. Enraged that he had been tricked and that one of his top generals was dead, Yuan Shao ordered 6,000 cavalry to chase after Tao Tao's army, which was retreating towards Guangdu. Under the command of his other top general, Wen Chou, but again, knowing his enemy so well, Tao Tao ordered his men to drop their wages and any valuables they had along the side of the road. Yuan Shao's forces stopped in their pursuit when they seen this loot and tried to get the bounty. But they were soon ambushed and Wen Chuo was killed in the fighting. Again, legend has it that Guan Yu was responsible for that. But I'm unsure if this legend is true. Probably feeling extremely angry at this stage, Yuan Xiao almost executed Liu Bei when he found out the description of this murderer of generals. The description that Yuan Xiao heard was that the guy had a really long beard and a red face. So it was pretty obvious who it was. But he let liu Bailiff. Because he was even more enraged by Tao Tao's counters and manoeuvres, Yuan Shao moved his entire army to cross the Yellow River and launched an assault on Guandu, despite being advised not to do so. Again, Tao Tao's preparation had paid off, as Guandu was situated on the southern bank of the Pien River, a tributary of the Yellow River and because of its location, it made Guandu a formidable fortress. This is not to mention also, that Tao Tao had dug trenches across the landscape, which basically negated Yuan Shao's numerical advantage, as to navigate the trenches would be herding the soldiers into killing zones, and that's basically what was going on here. Now, if you were an advisor of Yuan Shao at this stage, you would be thinking, just starve the enemy out here, they can't attack here and we have plenty of grain supplies. As well as that, just looking at the size of the territory both men had, Yuan Shao could definitely keep his army supplied, whereas Tao Tao's land was still relatively small, in comparison to Yuan Shao. So there was only so much his province could actually provide for his army. So all logic indicated it would be better to just wait them out. But. Feeling humiliated and wanting revenge for the death of his generals, Yuan Shao didn't want to play the waiting game, and he ordered an all-out assault on the walls of Guandu. He constructed large siege towers and ordered them forward, but Tao Tao, once again, countered Yuan Shao with the use of mangonels, which shattered Yuan Shao's towers. It looked like at this stage that the battle may evolve into a stalemate, but this is not what Tao Tao wanted as his grain supply was actually running rather low. He heard about where Yuan Shao's grain was being stockpiled, a fort named Gu Xur. To make Yuan Shao feel uneasy, Tao Tao personally led an expedition to raid Fort Gu Xur. Upon arrival, Tao Tao killed everyone in the garrison there, and then had the place incinerated, along with all of the grain. Tao Tao could have taken the grain back with him, but to transport it would have been sluggish and could easily leave him vulnerable to a counterattack by Yuan Shao. Furthermore, Tao Tao had guessed that Yuan Shao's own grain supply would be thinning out, as he had to feed pretty much double the amount of men that he had. Not to mention the fact that Yuan Shao was deep into Tao Tao's territory at this stage in the battle. To keep his men fed, Yuan Shao had ordered his emergency grain supplies to be stockpiled at Wu which was to the east of Guangdu. Now, if I were Yuan Shao, I would have been sure, or I would have made sure, sorry, that that grain supply would have been extremely heavily guarded. But when an officer named Xu Yu told Yuan Shao that the garrison at Wuchao was too small and inadequate, he was ignored by Yuan Shao. Now, some people say it was Xu Yu who alerted Yuan Shao to this oversight, and others say it was Zhang Regardless, whoever it was, they defected to Tao Tao in the end anyway, so it doesn't really matter. So I'm just going to go with Xu Yo. So, feeling rather annoyed by being ignored by Yuan Shao, Xu Yo went to Tao Tao and defected, and he told him about this new cash depot. Suspicious of this information, Tao Tao was a little unsure if he could believe the general or not, but Tao Tao knew he had to take the initiative. So basically, he had no choice, and he personally led a night's raid against Wu Chao. Tao Tao? Under the cover of darkness, and using the cover of expected relief forces from Yuan Shao, surprised the garrison at Wu and incinerated the grain supply. When Yuan Shao found out about this in the morning, he was infuriated and ordered an all-out assault on the fortifications of Guangdu. Yuan Shao hoped that through sheer weight of numbers, he would win the day and get a breakthrough. He sent wave after wave of his soldiers to fight Tao Tao's garrison, but they were all rebuffed. Throughout the entire day, Yuan Shao's army kept trying to push forward, but they couldn't get a breakthrough. When night fell, it became pretty clear that the balance of power had tipped into the favor of Tao Tao. So, Tao Tao ordered that the lips and noses of the dead be cut off and then scattered around the camps of Yuan Shao's demoralised army. To make matters worse, two of Yuan Shao's army generals had defected to Tao Tao in the middle of the night as well. As morning broke out the next day, Tao Tao launched his counter assault into Yuan Shao's army. By all accounts, it wasn't even a battle at this stage, it was just a slaughter. Tao Tao's army was organised, well trained, disciplined and morale was high. Whereas Yuan Shao's army at this stage was demoralised by having no food, failing to make any breaches within the enemy's defences, at least three generals defecting to the enemy, and their comrades' noses and lips were scarted in plain view. Tao Tao's army of 40,000 plunged into Yuan Shao's chaotic lines and cost them mass routes. By the end of the day, Yuan Shao's army had been completely destroyed. And by Tao Tao's own estimations to the Imperial Court, 70,000 men had died that day. However, Yuan Shao did manage to escape with his life. But Tao Tao could not worry about that right now. He did capture thousands of Yuan Shao's soldiers. The captured soldiers, they met a gruesome end, and Tao Tao ordered them all to be buried alive. The reason being was that his grain supply was low. couldn't feed them, so he ordered them to get buried. After this battle, Tao Tao became the most powerful ruler in all of China. Two years after the battle, Yuan Shao died in the year 202, and because he didn't choose an heir, Yuan Shao's sons all fought for control over their heritage. Tao Tao played them all like a fiddle and turned them against each other. Within a few years, Tao Tao had conquered all of what remained of Yuan Shao's territory, becoming, again like I said, the most powerful warlord within the realm. The biggest competitor he now faced was Dong Wu, which was established in the southeast of China. So who were the Dong Wu? How did they establish themselves? Well, that'll have to wait until my next episode on the Three Kingdoms Period. Now I said my next episode, and not next week, on the Three Kingdoms Period. And that is because next week I'm actually going to do an episode on the Mid-Autumn Festival to honour the holiday. I think I should dedicate an episode to the story behind it and the cultural aspects of the story and the festival today. So that will be next week's episode. As for more on the Three Kingdoms period, that will come in two weeks' time. Now I hope you've enjoyed this episode and thank you for tuning in to the Chronicle Podcast channel.